God is busy, as we've heard this morning, uh, doing a work in our lives. Sometimes it doesn't look as though He is, but He is. The reality is that He is still moving. Philippians 2. It's a book that we have been uh, looking at for a while now. We're in chapter 2. And uh, the, the, the theme of this book, book as, I, as I've said, is unity. Unity, unity, unity. We spoke about it last week. We spoke um, about the, the, this, this uh, theme of unity and the title of last week's message was, as we looked at Jesus, the title was Becoming Nothing. Becoming Nothing. And whilst we looked at that, we saw, we've seen two key words that stood out or have, um, have stood out during the course as we've been looking at this word, at this chapter. Looking at Jesus, remember, not as, as his deity or God. God's Son, but looking at Him as in His humanity, two words have stood out as we've looked at His life. And today we'll continue looking at, at His life, studying it and trying to understand how does, it, how does it apply to us? How does it impact us here in Killarney, in Bedford View, in Kensington, Primrose, wherever we come from? How does it impact us? We will see a third word that will stand out, has, has already stood out, but it will be more focused today. And that third word is mentality. So the first word was attitude. We looked at the word attitude. Second word was humility. And then today we will see the third word being mentality. And as we go through this uh, last bit, so we're going to finish off this section of um, uh, Corinthians, I mean, of, of Philippians, with this theme of becoming nothing. We have observed Jesus' attitude, we've looked at his, his uh, humility, and then today we will see his mentality. And as we do that, can I ask us to consider, consider this, his mentality. We've considered his attitude, we've considered his humility, let's consider his mentality as we go forward today. And so we reach verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2, and this is what it says. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now the translation says it this way. And being found in appearance of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Maybe I should uh, just go um, a verse or two earlier, just to put it together, verse 5 of Philippians uh, 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and becoming in the likeness of man. And then, of course, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We've, we've understood, we've, we've heard that um, Jesus came, he, he was God. He was there before the creation of the earth was put into place. He was involved in, in all of those things. It was him. He says in Colossians, Colossians that everything was made by him and for him. This is before he, was, he became a man. Before he put aside his deity. Before he put aside his, uh, he stepped, stepped aside from his, his godly uh, ability and became a man. And why did he do that? So that he can come and reach to us, reach us, his children, and show us that actually what you are going through, I have gone through. So you've been tempted. Guess what? I've also been tempted. You have had, you've gone through pain. You're going through pain. Guess what? I've also gone through pain. You've gone through rejection. Guess what? I also went through rejection. He was a man. He could relate to you and I. So, and, and he can say this to us. Nothing, nothing uh, catches, has caught him by surprise. So nothing that you're going through is um, uh, unheard of from him. Nothing, no experience he does not know. So your rejection, your humiliation, your unknown, he knows about those things. As a man, he experienced it. And he also knows those things as God himself. He humbled himself as a man. He became obedient to death, even death on the cross. It wasn't simply that um, others humiliated Jesus whilst he was on the earth. He humbled himself. He chose to humble himself. It was an attitude. He chose to humble himself. He chose a position in the universe that he knew was the Father's will for him. Jesus lived a lifestyle that involved daily humbling, daily humbling of himself. It's true of us as, as his children, as Christians. We are called to live a life that, call, that we are called to daily humble ourselves, daily put ourselves low and lift him up high. Jesus, the man, controlled his tongue. He controlled his tongue. How hard it is for us to control our tongue. This little thing in our mouth that can either bring life or death to the people that you speak to. He adapted himself to anything that he knew was God's will for his life. He regarded himself as accountable to his heavenly father and sought always to please him, so much so that he surrendered his very will. You see, the deepest ingredient in his self-surrender was his surrender to the cross. 
He accepted it, although he did not want it. You remember the prayer, Father, if it's possible, please remove this cup. If it's possible, please remove this cup from me. He prayed and he continued to pray, saying, nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This was Jesus' attitude. It was his, his way of life, humbling himself to the point of death on the cross. He had to encourage himself. He, had to be, he was faced with all sorts of opposition, all sorts of um, challenges and things that uh, were thrown on, on his, uh, his path. But he had this mentality, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Why? For the Father's glory. God's will for his son involved physical suffering. How many of us are suffering physically? How many of us have heard that um, when you become a Christian that maybe suffering should, would not exist? I'm sorry if you've heard that. But if I read scripture, Jesus, the very son of God, suffered under God's care. Shame was upon him. He faced disgrace. He faced seeming failure, misunderstanding by the closest and his dearest friends. But he accepted it all. Above all, it involved being abandoned by his heavenly father. So all of those things he went through, he humbled himself, God, I don't want this thing, but I'm going to do it for you, for your glory, because uh, uh, I know you love me, and I want to I fulfill this world that you have for me. I can do those things because I know you're with me. I can even go to the cross because I know you're with me. And at the last minute, it involved God the Father closing his eyes and abandoning Jesus, his son. How is that? How is that? See, Paul reminds us of all these things because he's asking us to develop the same mentality as Jesus had. He's asking us to deliberately choose the pathway of humility and obedience. Obedience is a big word. It's a small, but it's a big word in the Christian context in our lives. Obedience. How often we try and teach our children to be obedient. Jesus, through his suffering and humiliation, chose to be obedient to the Father. Chose to be obedient to the Father. And he calls us to do the same this morning. As we live this life that he has blessed us with, he calls us to be obedient. He calls us to be humble. He calls us to be obedient to the King of Kings and especially in the way that it outworks in our relationships with each other. Remember Paul was writing this particular epistle to his friends in Philippi. He wasn't writing to those who are not saved or those who do not know about Christ. He was writing to those who know Christ or about Christ. And he encourages them to be united. How, is, how does that um, 
bring glory to God. Because when I'm in unity with you, uh, it brings uh, favor from God. Remember the the, uh, scripture says, where there's unity, God commands his blessing. God commands his blessing. This was a follow-up to his um, appeal that we have been reading over the last couple of weeks, as it were. He says, do nothing out of rivalry or empty conceit. In humility, let each of you consider the other person is more important than yourself. Oh, how difficult that is. Look not only to your own concerns, but also to the concerns of others. Let's not be too worried about us. It's easier for me to be concerned about my wife, my family's concerns, to try and put them first because uh, they are my family. I get something. I, I get food. My, my clothes are clean. Uh, I get nice things. So it's easy, easier for me to do that. It's harder for me to do the same, to practice the same attitude of the people who maybe I have power over, if that's the right word to look at it, or people who, have, who can give me nothing. I can get nothing from them. But Paul encourages us, have the same humility, the same attitude that Jesus did upon those who can give, could give him nothing. Give him nothing. How much more for us? This isn't the mentality that we are to have among ourselves. Now that's kind of the summary of this, uh, this um, uh, verse. We are to humble ourselves. We, look at, we are looking at Jesus' example, the King of Kings becoming man and tra- showing us how to live this life for, so that he's setting the example as fast as humans here on earth to follow. And I think those two weeks ago I made a statement that I, before I would think, I would say, what's unfair? Jesus was the Son of God. He had the power of God in him. He could call God down and ask him to sort things out. So it's actually unfair for you and I to be expected to humble ourselves, to be expected to to, um, live the way that Jesus lived. And then I realized, no, that's not true. It's not unfair. Why? Because Jesus lives in you and I, in our hearts, through his spirit. And therefore, we can also call God down to come and cause chaos, as it were. We can also call on him when we are in a desperate situation and he's there. The curtain was torn. Therefore, we have access to God the Father here. We are not different to Jesus. We are not different to Jesus. These are all nice things to say. I'm sure they sound things that may be challenging, uh, and I hope they are. They certainly are challenging to me. But there are five things I want to highlight this morning from Jesus' degradation or Jesus' humiliation that we can learn as we close this uh, section of uh, this verse or this chapter. Five lessons we can learn from Christ's humiliation. Now this, 
Most of you might know of the famous Spurgeon. Um, th- these notes are uh, uh, borrowed from him. I'm, 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 I took some from him. And he's got five lessons that he tried to teach people in terms of how we are to relate and how we are to live this life. Looking at Jesus' humiliation. So the first one, Spurgeon says it's this. The first lesson to learn from Christ's humiliation is to have a firmness of faith in the atoning sacrifice on the cross. Have a firmness. So we have to be a people who believe that what Jesus did on the cross has power. It carries power. It wasn't just um, a, a nice act for him. For us, rather, because it was painful. He faced uh, pain. He faced um, uh, degradation. He, he faced humiliation. He f- even faced being abandoned by his father on the cross. Spurgeon says this, If my Lord, for us this morning, if our Lord Jesus Christ could stoop to become man, and if... When he had come as low as that, he still went even lower and lower and lower until he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He says, I feel that there must be a potency about the death, which is all that I can require. So in other words, there has to be something about this death. We sing about it. There are songs that have been written about it. We celebrate Jesus' death over Easter. uh, And then we celebrate his resurrection. But do we really take hold of what it actually means? What this act actually means for you and I? The fact that he died. The fact that uh, all of sin was uh, placed upon his shoulders for you and I. What does that actually mean for you and I this morning? Often we will say, um, I want to preach the gospel so that we can snatch people out of hell. You can't snatch people out of hell. It's impossible for you to do that. Only God can do that. But we are called to be on the crossroads, on the pathways and, 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 and proclaim what God has done through His Son. So that this cross, this act on the cross, carries meaning for you and I. The fact that we are going to go be, spend eternity with Him is golden. For those who do not know Christ, yes, hell is a real place. Heaven is also a real place. But the, 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 um, the difference is we will either spend eternity with our king, the one that we heard about this morning, the one that we proclaimed and we sang about this morning, or we will spend uh, eternity away from him. Away from him. Now we are blessed that we, are, we, we know the satisfaction of the fact that once we leave this earth, we will be with him, which is glorious. But my heart aches for those who do not know. Those who do not know. And I wonder how it feels for you 
I am disturbed when I hear, I read articles and I hear people are of this thing. I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing where people say that we are deconstructing our faith. We are deconstructing our faith so that they don't believe anymore in what, in the, in what has been taught. They are taking away the things that maybe the, the excesses that we as men have put onto this faith. Faith journey. They are possibly denying the truth of the word of God. So this morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross? And you set you saved. You set you reconciled because of that very act. It is a hard lesson. It's a hard lesson. And I don't know about you, but I think the more we, we, uh, uh, we grow older in the Lord, in walking this journey, I don't know whether our minds become too clever for ourselves. And even in my mind, I, I was thinking of the, the story that Lusani shared um, two weeks ago. Where he spoke about the Noah. Now that story is absurd if you have to think about it in, in your me- mental ability. There's a flood. God saves a few people who are who are righteous because they were righteous. People were so corrupt that God got fed up with them, and He said, "I'm going to bring a flood." And then, because there was someone who was righteous, He saves that family, asks them to build an ark, and then gets different animals into how the world is a big place. How is that even possible? How do you have a... There's a donkey, there's a lion, there's a goat, there's a lamb, there's a sheep, there's a, there's a chicken. It is almost impossible in my mind to think, how did they all fit? I know it was only a pair of, of one of each. It wasn't like the whole... All the goats that we have in the world were, at that time, got into the boat... I know that, but the, 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 the graphic analogy, it almost doesn't make sense to, to, to me. But Jesus' way don't make sense. God's ways don't make sense. How can you send your only son to die a horrible death on the cross to save people who might reject you? Does not make sense. But that's why we are called to just, just God, help me, help me. Help me to believe in you. When I'm feeling doubtful, help me to, to read your word and see that who you are. Help me. I need help. I am human. I need help. The second lesson that um, Spurgeon highlights that you can learn from Christ's humiliation is this. Cultivate great hatred for sin. Cultivate Great hatred for sin. How many Christians actually enjoy sin? The world enjoys sin, but obviously there's consequences to sin. But maybe uh, we, we uh, said that they don't know. They, they don't know. They're, they're not regenerated. They're not, they're not um, informed. They may be walking in blindness. But how many of us as Christians enjoy sin and then hide that sin? Sin killed Christ, remember. Sin killed Christ. Let Christ kill sin. 
Sin made him go down, down and even further down. And if that's the case, then you and I should pull sin down. Let it have no throne in our hearts. Let sin have no throne in our hearts. If it will live in your heart, in my heart, make it live in holes and corners. And never rest until it is utterly driven out. Seek to put your foot upon its neck and utterly kill it. Christ was crucified. Let your lusts be crucified. Let every wrong desire be nailed upon the cross of Christ. I say that, that you gotta, it's, it's not you. That's a reality. Sin is around us. But it killed Christ. And if that's the case, guess what we need to do? Is to take, uh, to, be, to, to, uh, to acknowledge the fact that sin exists. Sin tries. It tries to put us down. The enemy's plan. Our responsibility is to acknowledge it, that it is true. It is not a figment of our imagination. It's not just a nice story book in the Bible that we read. No, sin is true. We need to call out to God and say, Father, you are in me. As I yield toward you, help me to defeat this sin that maybe I'm battling with. And Christ says, I have defeated it all. I have overcome it all. On the cross, it was done. Everything was done on the cross. Guess what? So today, whatever you're battling with, it is finished. It is done. Sometimes as Christians, we tend to hide. And we move away. Well, we don't acknowledge sin. No, no, it doesn't. Sin is real. But Jesus Christ is also real through his spirit. And he has defeated sin. The third lesson that we are to learn from Christ's humiliation is that of this word, obedience. If Christ humbled himself and became obedient, how obedient ought we to be? Daily. We ought to stop at nothing when we once know that it is the Lord's will. If you know what God has called you to do, you ought to stop at nothing because that is His will over your life. Obedience. Spurgeon says this. He says, He marvels, He marvels that you and I, Christians, should ever raise a question. Or ask a moment's delay in our obedience to Christ. If, it, if it, it be the Lord's will, let it be done, he says. If it's the Lord's will for your life to go that, this way, let it be done. Let it be done. And let it be done at once. Let's stop delaying.
Should it cause a flood of tears, as I'm sure it does, let it be done. Should it cause some sort of pain, like Jesus on the cross, on the way to the cross, let it be done. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient. Will obedience humble you today? Will it lower you in man's esteem? Would it make me, make you the subject of ridicule? Would it? Would it bring content upon my honorable name? Obedience. Should I be elbowed out of the society wherein I have been admired if I were obedient to Christ? Spurgeon says, Lord, this is a question that is not worth asking. It's not a question worth asking. It does not matter what would happen to you. It doesn't matter what you get ridiculed, you get spat on, you get mocked, whatever the case might be, Spurgeon says, it is not a question to ask. If you know what the will of God is for your life, let us be obedient to it and let that obedience be a, a quick one. Because this brings glory to the king. Jesus, the man in his humanity, obeyed God's will up to the cross. Number four, one thing we need to learn from the humiliation of Christ, his example, his attitude as he went down, is this thing of self-denial. Self-denial. Denial. Did Christ humble himself? The question is, did he humble himself? Yes, he did. Well, then if that's the case and you believe it, you believe the word of God, let us practice the same holy art of humbling ourselves before the king of kings. Spurgeon says this, Have I not heard of some saying, I have been insulted. I am not treated with proper respect. I go in and out, and are not even noticed. I have done imminent service, and there is not a paragraph in the newspaper about me. I've done stuff, and no one acknowledges it. Well, dear friends, your master humbled himself. He humbled himself. And it, he says, it would seem to him, Spurgeon, that if we have these kind of questions, that maybe we are trying to exalt ourselves. It's not wrong to have questions because we're humans. 
It's how we deal with those questions. Do we deal with them by, by barring our knee before our king and saying, God, I'm having these questions. I've done this. I want, I want, I want, I want glory. I want to be recognized. Or will I humble myself and say, I do want all those things. But Father, actually, I want to bring glory to you. If my name does not get mentioned anyway, but you get the glory, that is what I want. So be it. So Spurgeon says, truly, if this, if this is how you want to try exalt yourself, you are on the wrong track. If Christ went down, 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 And who are we to want to go up, up, up? <laughs> who are we, the subjects of the majesty? The king of kings want to go up, up, up. He says this, wait, wait until God exalts you. Wait until God exalts you. Which he will do in his own good time. God will exalt you in his own good time. Don't try to exalt yourself. You continue worshipping him. You continue serving him however he, wherever he's placed you as best as you know where you have failed and fallen. Get up and say God repent and help me. But I want to bring glory to your most holy name. Don't you try. Should I even dare say, don't you dare try to exalt yourself. It's not your business to exalt yourself. It's God's business to exalt you at his own time. At his own time. But in the meanwhile, whilst we sit here on earth, are we not required or asked to humble ourselves? Whilst we're here, we do all these things, you know, we do well with certain things. And remember, even the, the fact that you do well and you succeed with that stuff, it's God's grace and mercy over you. How dare we try and exalt ourselves? In the meantime, we are asked to continue in a way that we humble ourselves. And if you already feel as though you're in a humble position already, should you not be contended with it, if you're not happy with it, if you're not at a place where you, you, you don't feel satisfied with it, you feel as though you are already low. Remember Jesus went from deity, from heaven down to earth. He humbled himself. He's a perfect example. Not me, not your neighbor, but Jesus. If you're now in a place where you're not noticed, where there is little thought about you, Spurgeon says, be quite satisfied. Be quite satisfied with it. Why? Because Jesus came just where you are. Jesus is where you are. He knows. He knows. God has allowed you to be where you are for a reason. And part of that reason is for his own glory.
Jesus had to bring himself down and to make an effort to come down to where you are is not the valley of humiliation one of the sweetest spots in all of the world. I'm sorry if this sounds heavy. But there's a work to be done in us. And the work is to refine us. We are being refined daily. But we need to be a people who allow the refining to take place. And then lastly, number five. We should also learn from our Lord's humiliation to have a hatred, strong word, for human glory. Hatred for human glory. Suppose they come to you and say, will, we will crown you king of your throne, of your world. You may well say to them, will you? All the crowns you had for my master was the crown of thorns. Do not accept the crown that the world offers. For those crowns mean they all will all fade into nothing. They will all fade into nothing. They will all fade into nothing. God has given you some sort of crowns. Give them back to him. Lay them at your feet. Crown him as your king. And then lastly, let us be inflamed with a strong desire to honor Christ. If he humbled himself, let us honor him. Every time he seems to put away his crown, let us take it and put it back on his head. So five lessons, five points that we can learn about Jesus' humiliation from Spurgeon. The first is to have a firmness of faith in the atoning sacrifice. The second one is cultivate a great hatred for sin in our lives. Third one is the art of being obedient. Fourth one is the ability to become or to be to have self denial. And the fifth one is to hate human. Glory.
This is what Jesus did. This is how he lived his life. This is how the example he set for us. We have seen, we have kind of learned and understood. Next week, going forward, we will look at what God does for Jesus as a result of Jesus' attitude and his ways. If you have time, please go ahead and read uh, Philippians 2, verse 9 to 11. You'll see what God does as a result of Jesus' attitude. I'm going to conclude with a prayer that Spurgeon prayed. I'm going to pray it for us this morning and for me. Dear Lord Jesus, help me to honor you. Help me to honor you who humbled yourself, who became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. May you accept these humble words of mine and bless them as I walk this journey. For your glory. In Jesus' name.